0: This is Speaking of Faith First Person. This online exclusive is part of our continuing search for fresh ways to think and talk about the current economic crisis. I'm Kate Moose, Managing Producer of Speaking of Faith. Here I speak with Martin Marty, one of America's foremost interpreters of religion and U.S. history. To hear more of our coverage, subscribe to our podcast or visit speakingoffaith.org.
1: All crises are moral crises. That is, if we use the word crisis, which it relates to the word judgment, we are making a judgment that things have gotten out of hand, and that's true in the case of every war, no matter how righteous it may look, of every economic downturn as drastic as this, every cultural change. Yes, it's a crisis, and uh, it has a moral dimension because we have to reach for Every kind of resource if we reach only for the economic we won 't get very far because we had everything figured out economically and it didn't work because the moral shortcomings
0: how, how would you articulate how would you frame the moral crisis as as we see it embodied in current events and the the wildness the continuing downward drop of the market and upward climb of unemployment statistics
1: I think the moral crisis comes about because we reduce things too frequently to just one dimension of life. If I can, I'm going to bring in a line from Christian theology, which I think by analogy could uh, inform a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course.
1: In the letter to the Ephesians of the New Testament, and I opened the page so I wouldn't flub, though I think I know it from memory, mm-hmm. uh, a simple phrase, we are members one of another. Mm. Now, this is written to people who have a religious commitment uh, that makes them members one of another. But I think that you can, without limiting its appeal to uh, agnostics and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and anybody else in America, um, you can carry it over and say, uh, in the political order, we are also quote members one of another, um, and we pretended we weren't, and that's where I think the great immorality lay—that we were on our own. Uh, all political groups, all economic groups, were acting that way. So when you reduce it to say the pride, which is a natural thing to say because there was a lot of pride, Uh, when you say greed, and of course that's natural to say because there's a lot of greed,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but you haven't said much when you said that. You have to say what could have been done differently, and there I think that if the schools of economics would revisit the human venture, uh, its religious dimensions, its ethical dimensions, few of which came into play, we would have have produced a generation of um, achievers. Uh, We don't want to limit the impulse to initiate, but um, I always think when somebody's initiating, she wouldn't be an executive if somebody weren't paying taxes for the university she went to, Mm -hmm. if somebody weren't running the uh, electricity off which she powers her device and so on. So the whole self-made image, I think, was the root of immorality. I once heard somebody say, he's a self-made man, and he worships his creator. And that's the highest <laughs> form of idolatry, and that's immoral.
0: You are answering the question, what moral and spiritual resources and what virtues do we bring to approaching this crisis? Um, do you think, is it, is it a fair summary, or is it a little too easy to say we have lived through a period in which the quality of greed and self-service, were preeminent, and now we are living through a correction of, of what is a uh, an unfortunate part of human nature. Is that is that too easy an analysis here? Will that, in and of itself, lead to different virtues and, and allow them to prevail in the economics and in our in our social and political lives?
1: I'll slightly uh, change the the, uh, alt- the alternatives that are present. Okay, um, start this way. Yes, greed played a big part. But in my view of human nature, which I think is biblical and philosophical, um, greed is a a component in human life. We are all always somehow partly greedy, but we can spend a lot of life uh, limiting that greed and uh, becoming generous, which is the alternative to it. Um, So uh, I don't think that just a few capitalists on Wall Street were greedy, and I don't think just uh, some MBAs and some PhDs, and some uh, elected officials were greedy, and that brought it on. Yes, they were, but um, we all play into the game, and uh, so we have to ask, what, what, do, we, what do we do about it? Um, I think the difference may well be that we have a crisis now because that natural greed used to have more constraints than it did. Mm-hmm. It's true that in a depression, and maybe we're heading toward recession depression now, uh, that can be limited somewhat because the resources aren't available. Mm-hmm. But I've worked a lot with the poor, and I think if they're honest uh, and we're honest in reporting, the poor are greedy, too. They have to be. If yes. want to eat, they, they have to grab for the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is addressed by providing more food and better arrangements of food. Um, so I think some of the things that have led to the uh, grossness of this round are, for example, um, We have so much abundance. There are a lot of goodies out there to grab. We tend to have uh, media which stimulate it, Uh, the advertising. Whenever I see that there's a jaguar for every pocket, (laughs) I have to say, uh, we're breeding illusions that people just can't live into.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you doing anything, are you personally uh, doing anything now that is different economically or personally, just in terms of how you're processing Um, the phenomenon, uh, how you're living your life, how you're ordering your affairs?
1: Naturally, anybody who is in his or her 80s, (laughs) which I have come to, uh, is going to look at how long the cracked nest egg will be around because we won't be earning more in the future, and uh, therefore what we tucked away has to play a part. And everyone I know who had um, university pensions or church pensions or uh, 401Ks um, is looking a little differently. You're, you're not quite so relaxed about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so
1: I I do that. I uh, always chat friendlily with my wife uh, about worrying. I always say, no, I'm not allowed to worry. Jesus says, don't. Uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. We mm-hmm. can be concerned. We can plan, but we're not allowed to worry. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm i really putting that forward a lot because I don't want to worry. Yes. Um, other things that come along the way in thought conceptions, Uh, For the last year and a half, I've been a guest at Stony Brook, uh, SUNY in New York, where they have what they call a trust institute. They had a foundation grant that has them focusing on trust. And while my own thing was to see how can we develop more trust uh, among scientists as they deal with religionists and religious people as they deal with science, I carried that over and, in fact, uh, got so uh, caught up on the concept of trust that I have been working on, and I have a manuscript completed called Building Cultures of Trust. Mm. And I think that is really where I want to put my own energies. Uh, trust broke down because we look at it so massively, the media, the government, the nations, the uh, Wall Street, um, who can trust them. Who can trust the medical establishment and so on? And when you say that, it's very easy to fall into cynicism and pessimism, and say it's so bad we can't do anything. So, so mm-hmm. we just let it lie there. Mm-hmm. And I really think we can have a different concept. And this goes back a little bit to that notion: we're members of one of another. We're not uh, three, four hundred million individual, isolated people. Uh, that are members of one of another we are that through our commitments our alma maters our companies our churches our clubs our families and so on and i argue that the way to begin to restore trust is to build cultures of trust or if you want to call them subcultures if you uh, go to employment and you can trust the boss and you can trust your allies Um, you're living in a very good situation, getting inspired for more. I knew of a CEO at a firm once, I was in the room, when the equivalent of a bribe was being offered, and he sent a message down the line saying, tell them no, that just isn't done around here. Well, everybody in that company knew that that just isn't done around here. Uh, when Chicago lived entirely off bribes in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and some would say uh, longer, Mm -hmm. what had broken down was trust. Mm -hmm. So if you can build trust in in the classroom, in a school, in a family, you're already on the first step back, and I think you can gain the notion there that it really pays to invest in improving trust in the economic order, which is the one that's on our mind most right now.
0: Mm. Tell me finally, and this is the last question, what kind of wisdom and leadership um, are you looking for at this time, close to your life you you mentioned uh, paul 's letter to the Ephesians being something that you carried with you and reflected on a lot. Are there other sources uh, that you turn to for wisdom um, at this particular time?
1: all my life, I have turned and still turn and commanded others to turn to sustained friendships. Um, I look to my dearest friends, some of them of 10-year note and some of 60-year note, uh, as people who have been through a lot of things that I've been through, and uh, they endure in different ways. I now have uh, friends whose spouse have Alzheimer's and so on. Mm. Uh, We need each other more than ever, and they give us lessons. Uh, I think that that kind of thing in, in academe, Uh, The people who taught me 30 and 40 years ago, some things just come running my way, and they gave advice that can be applied in in our own time. So I just can't say enough about that. And I think there's where you can, again, rebuild trust and avoid some of these things. Um, I make a distinction between, for example, famous people and celebrities.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Celebrities have clacks, and people tell them it's all fine. And I think a lot of the CEOs had boards that were clacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you uh, appoint this person and give them a huge salary, huge bonus, and sort of fall down and worship them until it all falls down. Friendship is different. Uh, a friend can say, I'll use my name in it, come on, Marty, get off your high horse. This time you went too far. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, boy, I can see you're really down. Uh, can I help you out of this along the way? So I think I'd start there. I also uh, look, of course, I'm in the Christian tradition, and I look for a great deal in in the scripture and here I'll do a highly condensed version with with thanks to uh, the theologian of some years ago Uh, may I say that your program handled him better than anybody I've known
0: Mm. Reinhold Niebuhr Mm. Uh,
1: in his book The Irony of American History I think if there's any word of wisdom that I turn to is when he says in all human action good action investing starting companies employing people Uh, using your head, knowing where to go, what to listen to, what to do. Um, You become an agent, an actor. And when you do, there are four things that you do that will always go partly wrong. You think you're virtuous. We all thought we were. We're that nation that's virtuous and it could start the wars we want to. And we find that there's just enough vice in us that it compromises it. We think we're powerful, biggest army in the world, biggest economy in the world, and now we're on our rumps. We can't end the wars, and we don't have an economy. Um, We thought that we were wise, and now we find that we were foolish in what we were teaching new generations and how we set things up. And um, we thought we were secure, and 9-11 and the stock market crash tells us we're insecure. Now, in the face of all that, Reinhold Lieber took uh, the book and said in Psalm 2, verse 4, when the one who sits in heavens, he says, looks down on the world, God who sits in the heavens will laugh and will hold us in derision. When I would teach that, students would say, does that mean that it doesn't pay to try anything? Or does that mean what fools these mortal be? No, neighbor goes on. Uh, that is always done in this context. It's that justice of God is tempered by divine mercy and human justice dare not be based on uh, vengeance, but on generosity and mercy. And therefore Niebuhr says, and I think that's consistent in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, the same God who laughs at our follies still holds us responsible, does not disdain human aspiration, uh, does not leave us uh, alone out there. And I think I find that uh, so consistently in the Scriptures, but I also find it in in philosophers, in Marcus Aurelius, and uh, mm-hmm. many others that I have to dust off the shelves to look at again. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, I often have taught people, and I learned this from sociologist Max Weber, that you can change the world uh, in the light of a text in two ways: you can say it is written, but I say unto you, which Jesus said, or you can say it is written, and I insist. I think it's a good time to get out old texts, and I'm not against getting out Adam Smith and John Calvin and other putative inventors of capitalism along the way, alongside the Aristotles and the James Madisons and the others who've taught us secularly, what I believe religiously, that we are members one of another.
0: That was theologian and author Martin Marty. To hear more of our coverage, subscribe to our podcast or visit speakingoffaith.org.